Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. We've called Connected, and if you've got your Bible app, if you've grabbed one of the bulletins on your seat, however it is you're going to track with us, that's what we are looking at. And uh, we'll wrap it up next week. And so um, we have led off with this idea every week that God created life to flourish when we're connected with others. That's where life really is at its peak. Now, we're, we've also talked about the challenges of being connected with others. Um, I'm not easy. You're not easy to deal with. None of us are. And so that, that's, that's the problem. But guess what? The problems of living life alone and disconnected are way more magnified than even the problems of, of working at doing this thing together and be really being connected the way God has called us to be connected. But we have to make a choice. We, n- neither one of them are challenge lists. So let's line ourselves with the challenge of leaning in to where God's blessing exists, which is connecting with the body of Christ. Let's go ahead and open up Ephesians chapter three. We've led off with this passage every week. And here in Ephesians 3.16, Paul writes and he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. We go ahead and get a hold of this idea of how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Praise God that God's love is deep, but it's not just deep. Praise God that God's love is wide, but it's not just wide. And according to this scripture, for you and I to be able to begin to grasp this, um, we have got to begin to do that in being connected with one another. My experiences with God do not fully reflect how wide and high and long and, and wonderful is the love of God. It, they don't fully, respect, re, fully reflect it. They reflect a good portion but they don't fully reflect it. But for me to be able to do that, I've got to be connected with you. I've got to see God's love and grace at work in your life. And then I see a facet. I see part of God's love at work that I would not have seen had I not been connected with you. That my own experiences are inadequate for me to really be able to get this. Now, the scriptures tell us for us to be able to know what passes knowledge. We hit on this last week, that if we're going to know something and knowledge is here and what we're going to know passes knowledge, it's up here, then how do we get there? How do we know something that passes knowledge? Knowledge is what we know. What's this thing called experience? It's a place of experience. You have to experience it. You can't listen to a sermon and get it. You can't just read a blog post and get it. 
you can't just be able to get some harvest some sort of knowledge and get it. This is bigger than knowledge. You actually have to experience it. But here's what's cool is when you and I come together, our collective experiences in God begin to fully reflect who he is. But if we just look through our lens of our own experience, we're going to miss things and we're honestly maybe even get things completely off at times. Um, this past Monday, it was a school holiday and uh, we, Cutie and I, we have seven kids if you're new to to uh, Celebration Church, and um, our, our youngest two are still at home. We have a third grader and a fifth grader, and so they had a you know, school holiday, so they were hanging out with dad, and we were going to go to lunch and meet Cutie and um, uh, some friends at a restaurant for lunch, so we leave the house, get in the car, and they said, hey, um, dad, can we do uh, Bible trivia as we're on our way? I realize that sounds like the most pastor family thing ever like uh yes just the pastor just does nothing but talk about the bible and bible trivia uh, okay this does happen but please don't get the wrong idea that all we do is sit around and talk about the scriptures um we're a, a normal family with normal stuff and so but we do periodically we do periodically play bible trivia and so this particular monday they asked to play bible trivia on the way to lunch and so uh um so we're playing and I'm asking them some different questions. Some of them, you know, I'm softballing them, you know, I'm throwing them some easy stuff. And, and, um, but then I got to a little bit of harder things and they love to ask for hints. Like, hey, can, we, can I have a hint? And Pressy, our third grader, she, her, she says, uh, what does it rhyme with? And so she wants, she wants a, a really good hint. And so she, that's her favorite hint is what does it rhyme with? Well, on the route, um, you know, one of the answers was Ezekiel. And she's like, what does it rhyme with? And I'm like, nothing rhymes with Ezekiel. I'm like, it rhymes with Ezekiel. <laughs> and so, and, um, and so it's, we're going, going along and we ask some more questions and, uh, you know, go down Knickerbocker. We get up on the loop, get off the loop. And as we're exiting, we had finished the question about uh, King David's best friend. Who was King David's? best friend. And we, they had answered that it was Jonathan. And so we had answered that right as we're pulling off of the exit ramp off of the loop, pull up to the light. Well, up there at the light. So there's, there's no question. All the questions have been answered. No open question. And uh, we pull up to the light where there happens to be a guy standing at the light in the on the concrete area with an accordion and a little box in front of him. And he's playing the accordion right there on the corner um, for tips, like, you know, doing some little, getting some money, you know, playing the accordion. And so as we exit off, I pull it off there and I'm like, hey, there's a, there's a guy playing accordion for tips. And then Colin looks over there and she, we are talking about the guy who's playing accordion for tips. And then all of a sudden, Pressy says, what does it rhyme with? I'm like, Sweet Pea, there's, there's no question. Remember, we just answered Jonathan. And she's like, no, who in the Bible plays accordion for tips? And I'm like, uh, all right, Sweet Pea. Uh, uh, sorry, no, that, that, there's literally, turn your head. There's a guy playing accordion for tips. And so, but she was, she was so engaged and she was so wanted to beat her sister. 
and so and so wanted to get the question right. She, everything she looked at was through her lens of what was happening in her mind. And all of a sudden, where there was a new experience, a new thing taking place, she tried to shoehorn it in, even when it didn't make sense. Even when it didn't make sense, she still just tried to just force it into that space. And here's the problem where you and I, as we're growing with Christ and we're having our experiences and life is coming and going, if we're not connected with the overall body of Christ, we'll have something happen to our life and we'll try to force that thing in to whatever perspective. We'll try to make it biblical somehow and we'll sit there, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's wrong, we'll sit there and try to do that and, and create a wrong biblical framework. Instead of letting the Bible inform our experiences, we'll let our experiences inform the Bible and we'll get completely off base. But whenever we stay connected with one another, all of a sudden now we can actually begin to see, oh, no, 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 that was actually something else. God was actually at work on this other frame. It wasn't, my pain wasn't, and wasn't part of this equation. That was actually something else. That was actually a totally different thing at work. And when we stay connected with one another, we can actually get a better understanding of who God is and avoid error, avoid some of the problems of trying to force our own experiences into our framework with God. This, um, this past Tuesday, we have our elders meetings. Actually, it was on Tuesday because I was sick, but this past week, uh, we have our elders meetings every week. And um, so this past week, we had our elders meeting. And at the beginning of them, um, we just have one of, the, one of the guys share about kind of just what God is showing us, revealing to us just kind of our own personal walk in the, in the scripture. It's not really a Bible study, just sharing what God's talking to us about. And so and then we just kind of all take turns doing that week to week. And so we, I was sharing about some different things. And then uh, one of our elders, uh, Stuart Sussdorf, reminded me of this passage of scripture and just, and, and just brought this thing. And just as I was looking, I was like, man, that just totally fits with exactly what we're looking at this week. So let's look at Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, verse 10. And here's, look at it in verse 10. It says, and then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night. First off, you need to understand that there's an accuser. <clears throat> there's an accuser. And he is, uh, he is accusing, not just randomly, not just periodically, not just when the accuser feels a little extra accusatory, and decides he's going to do it. No, it says day and night. The accuser comes after us constantly. And here in this framework, it's the accuser of our brothers and sisters. A lot of times we understand we can feel the personal accusations fly at us. But the awareness here is that there are people we are connected with that are living under constant accusation all the time. Constant accusation. And if we don't have an awareness that the accuser never shuts up, constantly coming at us, sometimes super loud, sometimes super subtle, 
running in the background, but day and night never shutting up. If we don't factor that in to our brothers and sisters, to the body of Christ, we will not respond in a life-giving way. When all of a sudden, when somebody responds to you in in an unhealthy way, something that kind of ruffles your feathers, when you have an awareness that there is an accuser coming after them constantly, then you go, okay, maybe, maybe they're under a spiritual attack right now. Maybe there's something that's there because guess what? Every person you deal with has an enemy who is coming after them constantly. Constantly. And this passage of scripture reminds us every person you deal with is under spiritual attack all the time. Factor that in. Factor that into your response. You can either be a part of the spiritual attack or you can be a part of the solution. You can either be another response, another point of accusation, another point of attack, or all of a sudden you can go, no, I understand. I understand there's probably a narrative here. There's probably something going on here. I have no idea what you're battling because the scriptures remind me that there's an accuser who accuses day and night, constantly. We're constantly, all of us, dealing with the idea, this thing that we're not good enough We don't measure up. We've missed our calling. We've blown our calling. We're we're not living in plan B or C or D. We're living in plan Z. And we're just gonna have to start the alphabet over again because we've just blown it so many times and it's constantly, we're just trying to just not thrive. We're just trying to get by and and the, the enemy is picking at us constantly, constantly. And we have compassion for one another. All of a sudden we can begin to respond to one another in a completely different way. But guess what? It says that accuser that accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. That accuser is defeated. His accusations, baseless. Baseless. But the accusations still come. So where, how do they have any effect? Whether you and I let them. They're baseless. Christ is one. But it still accuses over and over again. He's been hurled down. But verse 11 says they triumphed. Notice it didn't say they battled. No, it didn't say they fought. They triumphed. This is where the win exists. They triumphed over him, the accuser. By how? By the blood of the lamb. That's Jesus, what Jesus accomplished. If you're new to church, it's, it's the blood of the lamb is, is Jesus, is the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. They accomplished by what Jesus did. Guess what? The, what Jesus' blood accomplished is way more than we even know. At some point this year, we're going to do a series called Blood Work. Where we're actually going to look at what the blood of Jesus did. Praise God, we all have an understanding that Jesus' blood made us right. It took away the sin of the world. It made eternity and life forever available for us. But that is the beginning, not the end. That is the starting point of what Christ has created for us and he has done. But guess what? If you don't know what's been done for you, you can't triumph in that space. You have to have an awareness of it. So you're overcome by the blood of the lamb, but also by the word of their testimony. By the word of their testimony, by them opening their mouths, opening their mouths for what God has done in their life. Every one of us, our strongest place of testimony is always connected with an element of shame. 
It's always connected with an element of shame. There's a place where we were inadequate, where there was a place where we failed, where we had poor decision-making, all of those different things. That's why the accuser comes in and accuses in that space. So we have the accuser. How does the accuser get shut up? Because we don't let shame win and we open our mouths and give glory to God. We give glory to God. Why? Because guess what? Somebody else is dealing with that same quiet shame. Somebody else is being shackled in shame. And when we overcome, we open up our mouths and declare, guess what? I used to battle that. Guess what? I used to deal with those thoughts. Guess what? I used to have those things. And periodically, the enemy tries to relapse. Periodically, the enemy tries to debate me. But you know what? I remember that Christ died on my behalf. Christ took the price. Christ made me new. And I am free, 100% free. And I walk in freedom, not because I'm good at being free, but because good he is good at free. That is where all of a sudden, and now the testimony begins to get explosive and begins to change things. But if we miss out on the triumph, if we keep quiet, the, the work's already done. The blood of Christ has already been spilled. It's already accomplished it. What is waiting? Our testimony. What needs to be released? Our testimony. Your testimony needs to be released and it's hiding on the other side of this worthless thing of shame, keeping that thing signed. And if we will sit there and allow to come out, because guess what? It says they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Now this is talking about people who are actually martyred. They declared the testimony and they actually gave their lives for it. That's what that's talking about. Praise God, you and I can share our testimony in San Angelo, Texas and not have to fear for our lives. But there's a place where we still have to be willing to die because the thing that keeps our mouths quiet is us being willing to die to ourselves, to die to our pride, to die to that place within ourselves. And so we have to be like them, take their example and not shrink away and pull away from the death of self. We have to step into that place and say, you know what, Christ, you died for me. So if me declaring your goodness requires a little bit of death of me, then I will gladly do it. It doesn't compare to the death you did for me. And that's where the triumph exists. That's where the triumph exists. There's enough victory in this room to shake this city. Enough victory in this room to shake this city if we would dare to open our mouths and just share it with each other. We don't have to put it out on the World Wide Web. We don't have to, to, to make a mini movie about it. We just have to share it with people God puts in our lives. And that's where things begin to shift. See, being disconnected it's not an issue of physical distance, but an issue of heart distance. And this is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. It says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They look like, right? You're saying the right things, but their heart is far. Heart distance is more important than physical distance. There's a place where the way our hearts get connected is through caring. It's through caring. 
If we don't care if someone is struggling, if we don't care if someone is going through something, if we don't care for one another, our hearts have that place of distance. And even our physical bodies reflect the spiritual truth of of the body of Christ because our bodies are designed to care for itself. I get a little cut. My body immediately begins to rally and take care of that cut. All of a sudden now we begin to, the the blood clots, all of the little white blood cells go and make sure there's no infection and all those different things. It begins to care for itself. There was a stomach bug that ran through my home in this last week and and it was not fun. And and the, but immediately in the middle of all of that, our bodies were rallying to itself to push off that invader that was trying to tear the body down. The body began to take care of itself. In fact, your healthy body right now is caring for itself. There are systems in your body that are providing life to other systems. There are other systems that are carrying away hurtful things away from the rest of the body. It is functioning in a beautiful thing of caring for itself. But one of the hardest things for medical professionals to work with is when the body turns on itself. It's called an autoimmune disease. And all of a sudden now, this thing that was supposed to care for itself is attacking itself. And folks, we've seen enough of that in the body of Christ. This thing that was supposed to care for itself begins to attack itself. And that's what we, the body of Christ needs healing from the most. It's just the autoimmune disease of us. We just begin to have a heart shift. See, there's a cool thing right now is that uh, I've got, got, got two kidneys. Still got both of them, praise God. And so they're working right now, cleaning my blood, keeping me healthy. It's caring for me and my blood and everything else is caring for my kidney. But if something terrible was to happen and my kidney was to, to get sick and get diseased and have to be removed and then a solution to help my body stay healthy is, is a kidney transplant and get a kidney. And then the doctors sit there and connect that and make it apart and give it all of its connections. But once it's connected, this, it's not over. Because now what the, what the doctors would desperately want to happen was that my body would accept the new kidney. They wanted to accept it. And they would even potentially give me drugs that were anti-rejection because they don't want my body to reject this thing that was placed within me to bring me life. And that's why it is so hurtful when we begin to reject one another, when we begin to push one another out, and we're not just hurting them, we are hurting ourselves. Our body, if it was to reject that kidney, would be hurting itself. Hurting itself and saying, nope, we don't want you. You're not originally part of us. We're not gonna accept you. It would be hurting itself. And over and over again, that's what we see. But the early church thrived in a very different environment. Let's look at Acts chapter two, verse 46. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Okay, that's fantastic. You know, meet together in the church area. And so, but they didn't just do that. Just didn't come together and sing songs together. It's wonderful. Hear teachings together. Those things are wonderful. But guess what? There were some other things they did. It says they broke bread in their homes 
and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There's something spiritual about just having a meal together, hanging together, laughing together, connecting together. The only spiritual things we do are not simply coming to church on Sunday morning. They're wonderful. They did that, connected at the temple. But they also connected in their homes. They connected in friendship. They connected in a life-giving way. And that was so attractional. That was so life-changing. It began to shake that area and transform that area. See, it looked at, in verse 47, it says, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. People looked at them and said, I don't know what's going on, but that looks good. That, that's healthy. We're pro that. We're not really going to join it, but that, that, that's not destructive. They had enjoyed favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They would gather on the Sabbath. And of course, you know, in the Sabbath gathering, you declare the gospel that we would expect people to get saved. But they weren't just getting saved on a worship day. They were getting saved on a Monday. People were stepping over from death to life, adding, becoming a disciple on a Monday. And you're like, of course people could get saved on a Monday. Monday's the closest day to hell. And so, of course people want something. Of course people want a break. They're highly conscious of it. Of course they want to get saved on a Monday. People says they daily, even on a Friday, even on payday, when people got money in their pocket, going to go to the club, go have some fun. I'll go on the Sabbath and say I'm sorry for what I did with that money in my pocket while I was at the club. And, but no, but even on Friday, even on payday, even when things were looking up and good, says that people were added to their number daily. People were added to their number daily. Not just on a weekend when people were gathered. The body of Christ was sharing. If people were being added to their number, they had to be interacting with people who were not part of their number in a way that was attractional and said, hey, I'd like to be a part of that number all during the week. Folks, this is what changed the world. And we embrace it. It'll change the world again. It'll change the world again. So you can be together when you're physically disconnected. I want us to look at Philippians chapter 1. Here in Philippians 1, we have Paul writes this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. He's not with them, but he's thinking about them. And all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They're not physically together, but man, you can tell they're together. Being confident of this, that who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. His heart distance, they were together. 
they were together. They weren't physically together. Now here's this thing. He says, whether I am in chains or out defending the gospel, whether I'm preaching and doing what I'm called to do, I'm I'm, I'm with y'all. See, this, he's so rosy in the way he writes. We would think he'd written this letter and he just had a really cool ministry day, you know? Everything had just gone Paul's way. Things were rocking and rolling, man. He was on some Grecian beach and, and just chilling. And he's like, hey, somebody bring me a parchment. Man, I'm feeling good. I want to share some of this love. I'm going to write a letter to the Philippians. He's sitting there having a little umbrella drink. Sitting there writing. Man, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. I know your partner's with me in the gospel. No, every pin stroke, what you don't hear is the rattle of chains. What you don't hear is every time he moved his arm, every time he readjusted in a seat, there's a rattle of chains. He's in chains in prison as he's writing this. He doesn't sound terrible. He doesn't sound, whoa, he says, I'm praying for you. We wouldn't begrudge him if he says, I want you to pray for me. But he's like, I've been praying for you and I've been praying with joy. And his life, he's literally in prison for doing what God called him to do. He could be saying, all I did was say yes to Jesus. And now I'm over here in jail. I'm in prison. I've been beaten. His life wins every one of the worst, worst day contests. He's been shipwrecked. He's been snake bitten. He's been stoned and left for dead. He has been, been beaten with, with a, a 39 lashes. He has been accused. He's been lied about, just attacked over and over and over again. And yet we see this joy in his writing. Why? Because the consciousness of what God is doing in the life of others all of a sudden begins to overshadow what he's even personally experiencing. He's not so self-focused that he can't enjoy what God is doing through somebody else's life. See, doing life together helps us get over the difficult parts of life. Verse 12 says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, it's him being in jail and beaten and in chains, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, these very things I hate that are holding me back are actually doing some good. Most, brother, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Why? Because of his chains. See, doing life together helps us focus on what really is important in life, what is genuinely important. Why? Because we can drift so easily. We can get so self-focused. As we're wrapping up here this morning, I want us to look at these scenarios where Jesus brought us some teaching. Here in Luke chapter 9, verse 49, we see John say, Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. Very good. Someone had a demon, needed to go. That's, it, was, it was gone. Someone was driving out demons in the name of Jesus. Super good. And we tried to stop him. All of a sudden, they tried to stop something that was good. Why? Because he's not one of us. He's not one of us. Only we're allowed to do the good stuff. 
Only we're allowed to minister, right? We would eventually get around. This poor person who needed a demon driven out, we'd have got to you eventually. But this imposter, this person who's not even one of us, we don't want them to be a part of it. How does Jesus respond? He says, do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. He says, disciples, here's your filter. If somebody's not actually attacking you, they're for you. If they're not actually attacking, just consider them on your side. If somebody else is doing things, maybe a little different, maybe you didn't even know where they came from, but they're doing them for Jesus, go, whoo, glad you're doing it. For you. Don't know you, but for you. So as long as they're not, not attacking you, they're for you, okay? But then, a little later, Luke writes, where Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. See, so all of a sudden now the lens is different when it comes to Jesus. We actually have to be for Jesus. We can't just be not against Jesus and everything is cool. We actually have to be for Jesus. Okay? Maybe you're in this space and you're here and you're like, I just, I don't have any beef with Jesus. I'm still kind of figuring this out, but I feel like I'm okay then. I'm not against him. I don't... I won't say anything against him. You know what? The Holy Spirit is actually calling you deeper. The Holy Spirit is calling you to be for him. And in being for him, you're actually embracing what he's done for you. That is where the win exists, is you embracing what he has done for you. So then here this is. Whoever is, whoever is not for Jesus is against him, and whoever is not against you is for you. Well, what happens if you end up with an encounter where somebody is both against you, but for Jesus. What happens with that? Because now all of a sudden, we don't have the words of Jesus to cover that one up. We're like, man, that fits both scenarios. What do I do with that? Well, we may not have the words of Jesus, but we have the response of Paul. Let's look at Philippians 1 again. In verse 15, it says, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter, well, that's the ones who do it out of goodwill, do so in love, knowing that I'm in here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the ones who are doing it out of envy and rivalry, out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing, that's what's in their minds, that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. They're trying to kick me while I'm down, I'm already locked up and they're trying to stir up trouble for me during my prison sentence. It's not enough that I'm in prison. They're trying to kick me while I'm down. He's like, but guess what? But what does it matter? The most important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this, I rejoice. Paul says, even if I find someone against me and for Jesus, I'm going to celebrate they're for Jesus. And I'm going to say, guess what? You may not be my champion, but I'm yours. I'm going to be for you. And in this, this is how we don't let the enemy, the accuser of the brothers and sisters begin to tear us apart. We say, you know what? If you're not directly against me, I believe you're for me. And even if you attack me, if you're for Jesus, I'm still for you. We're going to pull together, even if you think, because guess what? There, there be believers in this town that don't agree with Celebration Church's theology. 
There'll be churches in this town that don't agree with our worship style. There'll be churches in this town, but you know what? If they're decreeing that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, I pray blessings. I pray they get filled up. I pray that God blesses those churches, those ministries. Even if somebody says, what do you think about Celebration Church? And they say, avoid it. I'm like, well, man, if they'll embrace the Jesus you teach, they're, they're going to heaven. And that's all I care about. That is all I care about. And folks, we have to be less self-defensive and we have to be more pro the kingdom. That is what we have to do. It's contrary to our human nature, but it is part of our divine nature. So in this, our bottom line this morning is this, that if we're together in heart, we can be together in life. That is where we're called to be. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.